Some of us have been around long enough to remember that there was a time when if you wanted to write to someone either across the country or on the other side of the world, you had to sit down and use this thing called paper and actually write down what you wanted to say and then you'd fold it up and put an envelope and send it off and then you'd have to wait for a response. And, and or may, hopefully you got a response, maybe you didn't, and you wondered, well, did they get my letter? Did they, how was this received? And if you sent it overseas, you would have to wait weeks to hear back from whoever it was that you sent your letter to. Now, of course, that's all been kind of blown out of the water with email and instant messaging. We can send something off to somebody across town or somebody off the across the world, and they get it right away, and, and hopefully, they might respond to us right away unless, unless they, they ghost us, which of course, uh, that's, can still, that can still happen. This raises questions for me about like prayer, right? Isn't that somehow, sometimes how we think about prayer? We, we send these prayers off and we, we, we hope that they got received. We hope that they were heard and, and maybe we'll hear something back if, if we're lucky and, and we're not, you know, wholly ghosted, I guess, <laughs> that we, that our prayers were not in vain, that our prayers were actually heard. What is prayer? What does prayer do? Does it, does it do anything? Does, how does it work? Does it work? There's actually been some occasional research done into the efficacy of prayer. One of the original and oldest studies was done in the mid-1800s in Great Britain. And the study had two parts. In the first part, the study looked at everybody praying for the royal family because no one prayed for anyone as much as the royal family. And people, those running the survey after a while concluded that, well, after all these prayers for the royal family, they're still kind of messed up. Maybe these prayers aren't actually working or getting through, although some argue that it could be a lot worse if they, if they weren't praying for them. So the first part of the study focused on the royal family, maybe not the best data set. The second was looking at a particular hospital in London. And they encouraged all the churches around the hospital to pray for everybody in Ward A for healing and to get out of the hospital in good shape as quickly as possible, but not to pray for those in Ward B. Well, after several months of, of this concerted effort for prayer of everybody in Ward A and not for Ward B, as it turns out, the people in Ward A did not recover any faster or any better than the people in Ward B, which led some people to conclude, well, this prayer thing just isn't working. It's not worthwhile. It's a waste of time. More recently, there's been a, an abundance of research done not so much about whether or not prayer will get us the desired results in the time frame that we would like, but the actual benefits of prayer on the person praying. There is a lot of data which suggests that those who have a regular prayer practice or a regular meditation practice have dramatically lower stress levels, are generally more relaxed, have lower anxiety, have lower blood pressure, less likely to get hypertension, and so on, than those who don't necessarily have those practices of prayer or meditation. So lots of health benefits, 
for those who practice prayer and meditation relative to those who don't have that regular practice. That's much easier to document the effectiveness of prayer on the person who is praying, which might lead us to conclude, well, does that mean that prayer is really about as effective or helpful as like stargazing? Standing out at night, looking up at the stars, you know, that, that's very calming, that's, that's soothing, that might have health benefits and release my stress and anxiety, but it doesn't do anything to change the stars. Stars gonna do what stars gonna do, right? That, what, is, what is me stargazing? So likewise, is prayer simply about its effects on the person? Does it really have any influence over the mind of God? Now, so far, whether you realize it or not, I have been talking about one particular form of prayer. The prayer that I think is most common and what most of us think of as soon as we hear the word prayer, sending words off to God. There's the prayer, and then there are words that the prayer sends off to the recipient, God, and we hope that, that God hears our prayers and, and perhaps respond in the way that we would like. But that's only one kind of prayer. I actually think there are three different kinds of prayer, and the first being what I'm gonna call directive prayer. Maybe because we're giving God directives, but more so that we're directing words, thoughts to God. Those words might be words of supplication, which is a fancy word for prayer requests, things we want God to do for the world, for our loved ones, for ourselves, and because we are you know, directing these words to God. But that's just one form of prayer, maybe the one that we're most familiar with. The prayer sends words to God and we hope that those words are received. The second form of prayer is what I'm calling receptive prayer. And this, unlike directive prayer where there's the sender to the receiver, this one is from God to us that God is sending signals, God is sending love, God is sending uh, information to us in every moment. I happen to believe that God is sending prayers, that God is sending love, that God is sending spiritual information. I believe that right now we're all being inundated and saturated with spiritual signals and messaging from divinity. And tuning into the present moment, as our video talked about, as we hear, you know, talked about in our culture constantly, being present to the sacred now is an experience of prayer because God is presence itself. We might attune, we might be wired to tune into God's presence more through listening to music or being out in nature or whatever it happens to be for you, but that is the second form of prayer, receiving signals, receiving love, receiving blessing from God, and we are the recipient, and God, or holy source divinity, is the sender. So that's the second form of prayer, receptive prayer. God speaks, we listen, or God sends, and we receive. It might be in words, but in my experience, the words from God are extremely rare. We rarely get those big burning bush moments where God speaks clearly. Often, it's through all sorts of other information and experiential uh, awareness. So that's the second form of prayer, receptive prayer. The third form of prayer is contemplative prayer. 
This is the prayer of silence, of no words, perhaps, of mutual, deep listening and very little activity, the prayer of stillness. There's a wonderful story about Mother Teresa, which I think illustrates the mystery of what contemplative prayer might be or can be. Once upon a time, Mother Teresa was being interviewed, and the reporter asked her, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And and right away we can tell he was working with that first definition of prayer, that prayer is about sending words off to God. And Mother Teresa said, well, when I pray, I don't say anything. I just listen. Which means he sort of dropped into that second definition of prayer of being the recipient of God's love, grace, signaling, whatever it happens to be. But then she took it even further. So the reporter got kind of excited. Oh, wow, God speaks to Mother Teresa. Of course God speaks to Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is Mother Teresa. Who else would God speak to but Mother Teresa? And so we asked, when God speaks to you, what does God say? And Mother Teresa said, God is listening to. God is also listening. That's the essence of this third type of prayer. Mutual listening, mutual attention, mutual love, deep love and attention to the other where words do not need to be expressed. Some of us might have the blessing of knowing that experience with our own beloved, of being so present and so intimate that you're deeply listening to each other and words are not necessary. Now, these are three forms. There might be more. I think it's possible that these three, if we could like create a Venn diagram, which I tried to do on PowerPoint and it drove me nuts and I couldn't do it, but just imagine the Venn diagram of all of these three overlapping and somewhere in the middle might be a sweet spot where these categories just break away and they all exist and intermingle together. Jesus' parable might be that sweet spot. This parable about a persistent widow is strange. It's a provocative story about a woman who pesters a judge for justice against somebody who has wronged her. And and the, the details of this are obviously exaggerated for maybe even for comic effect. This was not a society The time of Jesus was not a society when everyone was guaranteed to have their day in court. Oh no, especially women. And not only women, but especially widows had no representation. Women, if they were not attached to a man, whether it was a husband, a father, a brother, or an uncle, in that order had zero voice and zero rights in society in that world. Think about the Taliban today and how women do under the Taliban today, that's essentially what life was like for women in the time of Jesus. So this woman can only cry out to the judge unofficially, maybe by pounding on his door. And the judge is sort of a caricature as well. He says, although I have no respect for God or for anyone, I mean, who talks like that, really? I mean, I have no respect for God or anyone, but I will give this woman justice. And the irony is 
that a judge who neither fears God or respects anyone comes to fear and respect a widow. Someone at the very bottom of society. All of it reminds me of the persistent agitation required that grants justice and has granted justice countless times. Most, if not every piece of public policy that has been passed in order to benefit the people, particularly those at the margin, particularly those with no voice, has come because he was being persistent and constantly knocking on the door. Not solely because of the politicians' kindness and compassion. Often change comes because politicians are worn down by people's persistence. President Biden's recent student loan for plan to cancel up to $10,000 in debt for some borrowers is great, despite it being, you know, just a portion of what needs to happen around debt forgiveness. But Biden didn't simply do that out of the goodness of his heart. He did that in response to a long, well-organized campaign. Similarly, Roosevelt didn't provide senior citizens with Social Security purely out of the goodness of his heart. No, the Social Security Act was the result of grassroots activists pushing for a much more expansive Townsend Plan, which promised to give every senior citizen times as much as was eventually granted and signed into law. Persistence. Paying attention, constantly paying attention to what's happening in the moment, the political moment, the social moment, the interpersonal moment, the environmental moment, the inner moment is what prayer is all about. Last week when we marched in pride, we were praying with our feet and we were praying to celebrate inclusiveness and equity and affirmation to celebrate what has happened and to pray for that to continue to be advanced into the future. So maybe prayer not only leans our hearts towards justice and change, maybe it also gives us the capacity and the courage to bear what feels in the moment as unbearable until the change comes and to trust God every step of the way, trusting that our prayerful work is all God's love and justice into the world. Someone once said that real relationship is not so much shared pleasure as it is shared pain and shared longing for restoration. When we cry out, when we long for the world to be different, maybe our longing merges with God's longing. That our hopes merge with God's hopes and then it becomes an experience of prayer even beyond our awareness and our comprehension. If nothing else, for me, the calling out 
helps just right away, even if nothing appears to change right away. For me, it's better to have a God who feels pain with me and who also longs for a better world with me than to have a MacGyver God who just fixes everything at my beck and call. Commenting on prayer and on life itself, someone else said, that which you are seeking is also seeking you. That means both that we are often the answer to our own prayers and that what we most long for and what we most strive for is evidence of God's presence in us right now. Sometimes the answer to prayer is the prayer because it strengthens our relationship and our intimacy with divinity who is with us, within us, and striving for justice alongside of us. If your head is spinning right now, just go back to the parable. If an unjust, awful judge who has no respect for God, no respect for anyone, ends up listening to a persistent, relentless widow. How much more does God hear us and embrace us and dwell with us and long with us and invites us into the solution as God's vessel for the world God loves? Amen. Ashe, namaste.